Hello, it's me, Dale Seaver, your host through the deep night. It's 4 a.m., the hour of regrets and revelations, and I'm so pleased to be spending this time in your ear holes with you. It's heating up out there. Things are happening. My retirement plan has vanished. Thanks, chubby blokes with bad haircuts. But what's money anymore anyway? Just ones and zeros. And we're already rich in spirit because you've made good choices, like this one, tuning in to another episode of Dell Radio, coming to you, as always, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. I've just returned from a trip to a most unusual place. I was out in the great state of Idaho, where their license plates say it all with the words, Famous Potatoes. Imagine how excited the Native Americans who once thrived in that region would be, knowing that the humble potato introduced first in 1847 would be the thing to put the land on the map. If only they had thought of that. I tell you, the world uh, then is the same now. It's all about branding. Famous potatoes is also a fun thing to say out loud for no particular reason. Like if you see a group of attractive people, you can mutt under your breath, famous potatoes. Or if you're alone eating half a bagel because the other half fell on the floor and you're in the green room waiting to go on to do a bit for a friend's comedy show who only asked you uh, to do it because the more famous person dropped out and so you ran to get uh, to the theater on time. Okay, jogged. With some, uh, maybe jog with some brisk walking, because it's hot outside. You don't want to ruin your suit. Plus, today you wore your pants that you thought fit better, but it turns out that they don't really. So the seams are digging into your thighs and making every step excruciating with a wet, burning feeling. How can fire be damp? I don't know. But, but it is. Now there's swamp flames in my trousers. And even though it's going to be tight this week, you know how you get when you don't eat shaky and cranky. So you duck into the dive bagel place on the corner near the comedy club. And because it's a dive bagel place... There's one guy working, and he's barely capable of that, so he's trying to take care of a lady who just discovered cold cuts and apparently is stocking up for the apocalypse. She asks for bizarre increments of various meats and keeps asking, what else do you have? Which is not a good question for the deli counter, ma'am. This isn't Sardi's, it's a deli that happens to have bagels and doesn't charge extra for the little container of cream cheese, which is why you went there in the first place, but now you're really late, which is not a big deal because the show always starts late, but still it's the principle of the thing, and you don't want to be that guy the one who's always late. So you finally get your bagel, which is a bad dinner, let's face it. You're going you're going to eat a whole pizza later. You just you just know it. This is a false dinner. A fibber supper. A fipper. But you're okay with the lies you tell yourself because you will go running one day and you'll feel great. A day when it's not too hot or too cold, but just right for physical exertion. Spring would have been good, but now it's nearly July and humid and really are you ever going to lose that weight? Really? It's a long game. So as you stand there trying to balance the front door with your hastily wrapped up sesame bagel and a tiny carton of cream cheese and the iced coffee you bought, uh, thinking it would keep you alert and counter the effects of the pre-show cocktails you're about to have at any moment, something happens. And you bobble, you wobble, you grab and you stumble, and instead of just letting the door go, the bagel flies out of your hands and lands on the dirty, dirty sidewalk, there in front of the comedy club, in front of the lineup of young improvisers with web series and first-look deals with Comedy Central, and they stare at you, and you stare at them, and you think, famous potatoes. 
and deep down you know you've won. A small sparkler of confidence erupts deep inside, and you pick up the bagel, dust it off, and you go and do your job. Well, more of a volunteer thing. But you know what I mean. Famous potatoes. So Boise and Sun Valley, magical places uh, in this country. Boise, uh, less so. But Sun Valley, certainly. And I get why rich people want to live there. Myself, uh, within minutes of getting off the tour bus, along with some other bigwigs in the flyer industry, we were having an outdoor dinner on a lamb ranch near the Craters of the Moon National Monument. Minutes after getting off this bus, I was approached by an energy intuitive. That's how she introduced herself. And I was absolutely into the energy she was seeing. She had some kind of words about my chakras, and it sounded an awful lot like we were going to be spending a few nights together in Miami. How about that? You never know who you're going to meet on a business trip. She also told me that the problem in my nostrils has to do with my unwillingness to let go of jealousy and that I was not really upset about a recent birthday, but it was actually just leftover energy from a past life. I'm free. I'm blaming everything on that past life from here on out. You know what else I discovered while traveling? The wonderful poetry of the on-screen flight tracker. Have you ever looked at this thing, folks? Sometimes on the longer flights, you get a little touchscreen on the back of your seat in front of you, and you can watch a movie or what have you. Kudos to the people who choose to watch very graphic or explicit movies on the plane. You truly have no sense of the world around you. Well, what I like to do is check out flight status, and I see a little plane flying in a perfect arc over a map of these United States. On this trip, though, I realize something. Zoom in on New York or New Jersey and see that this map is a map without man. No cities, no buildings, no twinkling lights. It's eternally daytime with bright blue oceans and pure land all around the globe, as it was before anyone arrived to sully it. From our seats on a flying machine, we gaze deep into the past to see a wild America, crafted from bits of data sent from a satellite floating in low orbit. How optimistic, this little satellite. Or is it a glimpse into our future? where the earth has recovered from our transgressions, our violations, return the cities to grasslands and the highways to dust, clean the oceans of plastic. How sly this little satellite is, observing, commenting, and we touch it or zoom in, but never really think about it. My guest today is a keen observer who certainly got me to think about a great many things. She's Erin Markey, and she's a performer, comedian, and actor who was recently named one of Brooklyn's 50 Funniest People. Thank you, Brooklyn Magazine. God, we've, had, we've almost had all 50 people on here, haven't we? Gosh, we got to be close. I'd say we probably have 60% from that list. Uncomfortable with any one definition of her output, it's safe to say that Erin Markey makes music, shows, and videos. That's a, a succinct way of putting it. Isn't it? She has shown work at Under the Radar Festival, the New Museum, PS122, the New York City Comedy Festival, Osnova Lincoln Center, UCB, and frequently, as we discuss at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater. She's a recipient of a 2014 Franklin Furnace Grant. How about that? You understand what I mean? You're getting grants and things. She's a, a, a cutting-edge artist. She won an uh, Elliot Norton Award for Outstanding Performance in 2013. That was a difficult year. That was a tough year for performance. Very, very competitive. And she's been recognized by Time Out uh, as a top 10 cabaret artist. Her new musical, A Ride on the Irish Cream, premiered at the Abrams Art Center just this year, January, and is going to go on. It's going to be on a tour of that. So you can catch it if it comes to a city near you. Erin is someone I've wanted to sit down and talk to uh, for 
a long time, as her work is such a valuable contribution to the comedy and theater worlds. And she's right in that area of artistry that interests me most. Something between performance art and stand-up. And she's performed with many of my guests, specifically uh, many this season, and was a big part of the popular Our Hit Parade, uh, which we talk about. She's a force, but one with an open heart and a laugh that comes easy and often. And currently you can see her on the last Wednesday of every month throughout the summer, so so three times, you've already missed June. But but July and August are still available for you to see Aaron Markey humping a Gatorade bottle is the title of the piece. And that's, a, I mean, if you're going to title something, that's pretty good. And that's at the world-famous Duplex in New York City. So by all means, get tickets to that. They sell out fast. Right now, let's go to my conversation with the wonderful, the great, the inspiring... Aaron Markey. Oh, this is terrific. Aaron Markey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. And it's so wonderful to have you uh, here with me today. And I feel as if I'm completing some kind of feat, having had almost everyone from uh, the Joe's Pub, our hit parade uh, era on this program so thank you for helping me reach that milestone love to be crossed off of a bucket list (laughs) well you're getting crossed with heavy ink today because our hit parade though for our listeners some people will know this the long time listeners it was a show hosted by bridget everett and neil medlin right generally uh yep and kenny melman and Kenny Melman, let, mm-hmm. let me not forget Kenny, and they brought uh, Top 40 Hitch, other musical uh, moments, uh, to the stage. Yes, yeah. In some kind of modern interpretation. Yeah, it was like 10 artists every month covering 10 of the, you know, like top 10 hits. That's what it was. And really putting their own spin on it, though. Right, whatever was their spin, it was spun. I have I, I have to say, uh, now having interviewed almost everybody that's been a part of that... Uh, <laughs> Thing, almost, or who was drawn in, probably more likely. Everyone I've met has just been an amazing, has given me a sense that they are amazing collaborators. They have a great sense of generosity and uh, support for one another. Was that true? It was true. Yeah, yeah. It was like definitely a family vibe after a while. And I- how how many of those did you do? God, I mean, I think I started in late 2009 and then it ended in 2012 and anytime. I was there that month. I was trying to be there on stage, so. And it was a monthly program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Gosh, I, I wish that I had been uh, to any. I've only lived uh, through it through the web, seeing all those wonderful really? things. Yes. And I'm just uh, voracious in, in, in consuming them all. But uh, Well, I'm, it's good to know that they hold up on the web. Oh, they Brent, do. Brendan Kennedy shot most of them, and oh. they're, they're very artfully shot. They they're, are. They're very, like, um, TV-ready. Yeah. <laughs> they are intent to anyone listening out there. And uh, your experience of kind of falling in with that group, how did that come about? Uh, well, I knew I knew Bridget. Bridget had booked me for this other thing that she was doing at this bar, this gay bar in Hell's Kitchen called The Ritz. Yes. For her event sideshow at The Ritz. Um, that she hosted with John John Battles, who who DJed. Okay. And it was just like all of her weird artist friends doing stuff for kind of like the bridge and tunnel like gay man crowd. You you really like did not know who was gonna be there. Like yes. tourists, like 
Hell's Kitchen scenesters, and by scenesters I mean like Broadway uh-huh. gay men types, okay. <laughs> or like touristy Trying gay to men types. The scene. Yeah, but it was—I mean, you couldn't really talk. That was a fact. Be- because it was there was so much going on. You really had to like demand attention. Oh, I see. You know, it was like a nightclub. It was late. Not to um, bring up Orlando. That's okay. You can't. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. No, but um, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing, like little master class and figuring it out because you had to like do music or something that was incredibly spectacle driven. And there's no, you know, there's no like instruments there. So when I say do music, I mean make your own karaoke track. <laughs> you got to build or, it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, did you find that that was difficult for you? To, were you adjusting from what I from what I know of you? I would assume that would be an okay. A uh, thing for you to jump into and you would thrive at it. Yeah, I like a good set of boundaries. Yeah, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. a good way to put it, isn't it? <laughs> I find that's immensely helpful. Even just one word, tell me one word to go to respond to, <laughs> and I'll put a show together. But if it's just me, podcast. Thinking, exactly. <laughs> I've got it. <laughs> that I can work with. Something about seed pods, probably. I don't know, fly fishing. (laughs) I've got some ideas. But now I've performed all over the country. Thank you. And uh, Joe's Pub is one of the finest experiences I think you can have as a performer. Yeah, it is soundproof. <laughs> they made it part of the decor. Yeah, yeah yes. But it is. It is An the best unavoidable place. unavoidable part of the no. decor. <laughs> no. But it's kind of beautiful. It you is. Know, the way they light the like styrofoam and it, on the wall. That, it's not styrofoam. It's more like foam. It is foam, yeah. Yeah. And it's become a kind of um, uh, a rite of passage to even have a photograph in front of that thing. Correct. Like, you know? if that's your profile pic on Facebook, then Pretty, you've made it. You've made it. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. made it, I mean, like, hashtag made it. Yeah. I, I'm with you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they are, they do a lot of programming there, too. Yeah. I mean, Shanta, to and, bubble, but. Shanta and Alex, who kind of... Well, who definitely run the joint yeah. are like they know how to curate. They do. Yeah, they're they brilliant. Do. They're like they go for quality, not um, not asses in the seats. Although they get asses in the seats. They do. They do. Uh, we probably needed. I did a couple of shows over there. I think we needed a few more people there. Right, but right. Uh, they have uh, mechanisms for that too, which is uh, wonderful. They always have a eye out for the performer, which I think is. Um, and Red. the house, the house always feels pretty full from the stage. It does, based on the way the house is lit from there. You know, it does. And I've let my prescription go, so I can't really <laughs> tell what's happening out there. But I, we probably both performed in places that were less than spectacular. Yeah, I and mean, I've peed in alleyways, is what I'm telling you, Aaron. It's mm-hmm. uh, we've been there, haven't we? Yeah, I've I've peed in some corridors myself. Mm-hmm. I was so confused about public peeing when I first moved to New York. <laughs> I was like, it's all around us. Yeah. I was like, here, you can just pee anywhere you want. And I like <laughs> wasted, peed in the Union Square subway station elevator oh. in front of my brother. Because mm-hmm. I was like, see? Anything Here else? in New York City, idiot. We just get to do whatever. <laughs> <laughs> was he impressed? Uh, no. No. Hasn't made too many return trips. <laughs> no. Well, he has, but he was, he's my younger brother, so I think he'll think I'm cool forever regardless. Yeah. That's a way to really leave a mark on a youngster, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Public urination and 
a device that moves <laughs> pretty much. And how many uh, brothers, uh, siblings do you have? Um, I have a younger brother and an older sister. Oh, you're right there in the middle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then a dead brother that uh, is fictional that I lied to my real brother about so that he would feel a certain way when we were growing up. <laughs> a certain positive way? Or certain, I don't know. I just, just wanted him to way. feel like spooky, I think. Okay. putting it, Just uh, keeping him a little bit uh, unsettled. Right. It was sort of like... <laughs> You better live up to this much cooler brother who is no longer alive. Yeah. Um, and mom and dad won't talk about it. And do not bring this brother up <laughs> key. to mom and dad. <laughs> yeah. key, key point. <laughs> and that, that fella, the dead fella had good taste in music or something? Oh, I mean, I wouldn't know how to talk about that as a child because I'm not sure that I had good taste in music. But I think he just had really good grades or okay. something basic. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so it was a, a vivid time, and you've always had a good relationship <laughs> with, with your siblings. <laughs> well, I just, uh, it sounds like that elevator is probably the worst venue you've ever performed in, but is there another one that is ranks up there as just a... As really bad? As a, You don't have to name names I know. necessarily, <laughs> but I know you were just in Philadelphia, so that must rank <laughs> up there. <laughs> no, that was actually a really good one. Um, it's on the rise, is what they've been saying about Philadelphia since... Mid seventies or so, since the bicentennial. <laughs> I can say it. I'm from there, so it's okay. Are you? What part are you from? Well, I'm from the from the suburbs, of course, outside of Philadelphia. Right, but right. We went in a few times, and that was enough to get a sense of it. But I I I, I, I love it, and it's a, <laughs> I love how confrontational they are, and um, I mean, talk about not letting you get away with stuff. R- who the citizens or yeah, the... I think just the citizens. Oh, okay. They have they have something to say. Yeah, I was getting a lot of like boatwear. I was there on Father's Day, boat, and I was in wear. like Rittenhouse oh, Square, sure. so I know that what you was mean. like yeah, like yeah. J Crew, but a little more nautical. Yeah, like their aspiration is Connecticut. Yeah, <laughs> that part of Philly. Normally, I stay in West Philadelphia with my friend, yeah. which is not like that at no. all. A little more real, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's hard to find a beer after 10 p.m. <laughs> is a mark of a great city isn't it (laughs) (laughs) and what were you doing down there performing yeah i was doing a show at um at la peg uh with philly fringe oh great yeah great Mm -hmm. and how did it go uh i had a real good time with them you know you never know and it's like it's a kind of like restaurant bar situation and not quite as like geared towards the performance as joe's pub is so (laughs) you gotta rein them in yeah and i had a good time doing that and let's be clear even joe's pub has kind of a basic deal i mean it's it's wonderful and technically uh, superior to many yeah but it's you're talking about the fork clanking and the (laughs) well there's that Look, I love the place, but it's also a small stage. It's about the size of this table. This and was a smaller stage. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe just because I'm there with big orchestras and things, but it's always we're always just crammed into a little bit. I know I that's think, well, my well that's what builds community. It does, doesn't it? That was the key to our hit parade, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The cuddliness and the mic sharing. <laughs> and the mic sharing. <laughs> and. Um, this show that was at the Philly Fringe, it has a. It's going to go on. It's going to. You're going to do some more of that. Oh well, that was like my comedy, like cabaret-y type stuff. So I like combined things from like four different shows. Okay. To make the sort of time work, you know what I mean? They're right. like 
do a 45 minute set and we i want was you like, and you came in and yeah you got it buddy I got it. I got it. well <laughs> as i continue to talk to people on this uh program i've kind of identified some pockets or little uh, uh sections uh, of uh, people groups of people that tend to uh cluster you know and they're they're around as we said certain communities and maybe it's the sharing of mike's thing uh but and they and there's a few people who manage to overlap and slip and move among all these things there's kind of the ars nova uh, sheen the joe's pub scene then you have and that's more maybe more theatrical uh you got to be able to know to si- know how to sing if you're doing those shows and then you have At joe's yeah I've, i'm flattered yeah, oh, you have a great voice, and, and the, then there's the, the pit and the magnet and annoyance oh, yeah. UCB, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, and then the comedy clubs kind of have their own vibe to themselves. Sure, um, sure. But uh, uh, maybe we can talk about your own trajectory just a little bit, mm-hmm. because uh, to me you're, you're one of these people that is a little bit slippery and can move uh, with ease among all these different factions. There's probably other places too, but um, I was. Uh, I was reading an interview with you where you said um, you basically had all the different various things that you do and how none of them are really an apt descriptor of, of um, you know, your, your output. Yeah. I mean, I'm one of those annoying people that really, like, um, hates the concept of identity. Yeah. It, it feels just, like, really, as soon as I, like, land on something, then, of course, I want to, like kind of set up bombs around that and like become something else so it feels it feels like silly to like call myself one thing um but the thing that feels like smarter is to just like somehow come up with language that's about what the actual like product is or something but even then I mean that's like steeped in identity (laughs) (laughs) it is i mean i feel the same way i'm still uncomfortable using the word comedian and really probably some of my audiences (laughs) i just started using it and it feels fun it's fun i don't know i I still am a little that i'm hesitant i'm hesitant um but also if you say i'm a podcaster then you have to explain what a podcast is to your family members Right, and I don't want to do yeah. that to your older family members. Yeah, that's most mostly what I'm working with. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. You it can be any, difficult. No. No kids. No. 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 Yeah. That was the reason for the split. But uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but uh, was this uh, identity um, uh, feeling of being uncomfortable with any one thing always present, uh, or is it only developed as you um, artistically? Um, I think it just like, it sort of felt in line with, you know, once I realized that identities were an actual thing, which I think is when I like, when my friends started coming out to me in high school, and Mm -hmm. then I kind of had to think that through myself. Mm -hmm. And then I realized how it like extended, you know, um, to career because the the sexual identity stuff happened before I had a career I felt very like uh versed in being like no I'm not that 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 or that because I feel very very like fluid around gender and and, like sexual identity too and that uh, it seems to me if I'm uh, correct in this that there was a moment maybe right before you started and I'm maybe a little fuzzy on this, but that like racial politics, identity politics was a big thing uh, coming up. And that was like, hold on to this thing, assert that thing, talk about that thing greatly, at least within performance kind of uh, communities. And then after that, it was left with, well, 
I don't want to be just that thing or mm-hmm. that thing or this thing. I can be many different things. You're talking about like post postmodernism. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, is that what that means? <laughs> no, I mean, <sighs> I didn't know if you were getting that. For, if I had said something crazy in an interview, if you're talking about the general, you know, <laughs> no, cultural, I'm, like, I'm like just wondering era. about. It. I'm interested in hybridity. I'm interested in things that uh-huh. uh, are not one thing or another, and I think that's. You um, like the slipperiness. I do. I do. <laughs> not just for that word, but uh, <laughs> it does seem to mirror a kind of overall tilt. In, yeah. In in. Uh, this moment yeah. uh, in our in our country or whatever in the in the universe where we're, we're just this moment of time seems like everything's shifting and i think it's a cause of great concern and unease among certain people who are trying to who like things to be this way or that way and uh, that's how it's always been except if you look back in history it's only been that way for 50 years or something right. so what are we talking about yeah their entire lifespan their entire lifespan <laughs> i know that people are scared but i think it's uh, for some of us it's very thrilling yeah uh, to be uh, at a moment where we don't have to just be that we don't have to pick that career and always do that thing we don't have right. to pick that identity right um, yeah yeah i mean it's like a way of just like acknowledging something that that feels really um true because people want to change and grow Yes, you know, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if we're lucky, people want to change and grow. That's right. That sometimes it takes a lot of couples counseling to get to that point. <laughs> but it's true. And I think there's also some judgment to it that uh, we bring. As, and I'll speak for myself. Maybe if you say, well, I'm an actor. Uh-huh. But that also carries with it some um, yeah. uh, heavy stuff that says, well, maybe you can't s- support yourself. Or support others. Huh. That's not. I mean, I I have baggage around the word actor, but but that has a lot to do with just like the hierarchies of power that are like not as relevant anymore. But mm-hmm. like you know, you do with a you shut up, you take a note, you do what the director says, yeah. and that's not. You can be like chiller than that now. Yes, but there are these moments when you're like professionalism when anybody's professionalism will be questioned and then these are like the basic rules that are sort of subtly returned to yeah do you know what i mean so it's part of the system yeah it feels like i mean why can't an actor be acknowledged for their part in the actual writing process which is like writing um in 3d with their body and their inflection yes i'm there with you but i'm always looking for credit you know yeah but that's the great thing about controlling your own stuff right is you can be the writer director producer whatever it's exhausting but Mm -hmm. uh you have that amount of control and you can have cooler pictures than like a headshot Yes, <laughs> one's more likely to get run in timeout. Fact, <laughs> yes. but not playbill. Another fact. <laughs> well, I think I've settled on entertainer. Well, you've said, oh, you've settled on entertainer. Yeah. No, yeah. that makes sense. That's yeah. a good one for Facebook too, because it is. They like it. It's a big catch-all. Listen, that's all I'm after. Just the approval <laughs> of, of, Facebook. of Facebook of Mark Zuckerberg. Berg? Zuckerberg, is that his name? right? Yeah. Somebody uh, tried to call him Zuckerman the other day. Somebody did? Yeah. And and the person like, on the street? <laughs> <laughs> it was, I think it was somebody on TV. Oh, somebody was there with him. 
<laughs> no. No, just looking at his page. I don't know. I could have dreamed it. I had a bunch of terrorist dreams last night, and I oh. think that was one of them. <laughs> well, a, 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 a terrorist who is just not good with names. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I understand. This They've got a lot going on. <laughs> Zuckerman's was the farm in uh, Charlotte's Web. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God! So it came from the deep I think it recesses was, it was of really my like that. original terrorist seed, uh, Fern's dad. Yes, who tried to wipe out That's all it. of the lovable creatures who were runs. That's, you see what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. You do, are you searching for someone to uh, put your name in the thread? <laughs> to, to, to call yes, you out, I am. To Although, boost you up, he didn't get his name in thread. He got his qualities. His qualities, yes. Sorry, yes. Humble, some pig. Yep. I can't remember the other ones. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yep. the The E. B. White era is over. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. You know what I noticed about that? I just happened to be uh, uh, picking up a copy of it. Uh, no run-ons. <laughs> Just, in Charlotte's Web? Yeah, I mean, not, maybe they're not technically runners, but that fella loves a list. He will go right. through it, go through it. And a it, listicle just, all on the same line. He, yeah. yeah, yeah. Every single aspect of that uh, animal or piece of uh, slop will be described um, all the way through. You seriously picked up that book recently? Yeah. How come? You know, things are lying around. <laughs> and you think, well, my gosh, what's going on with that? That old pig still in there? Um, <laughs> well, you grew up in the great state of Michigan, but also moved around a lot. Yeah. What does that mean? Um, Military? No. My dad was just like, you know, working in the telecommunications field, which oh. just grew a lot in the 80s and 90s. So it was sales? It was like, yeah. He was like beepers and uh-huh. pagers. And then... <laughs> Uh, cell phones. Yep. He did car phones. Oh, that's he, probably lucrative uh, for a it, time. I think, well, weirdly, because he was a salesman of car phones, we, we had a car phone, but I didn't know that like the only people that could afford car phones were people that were much, much wealthier than us. Like we just had a car phone. So did my mom. And I used it as like you know, a way to play. Mary had a little lamb. Um, but like, I don't know. It's just weird to think of that, like fancy accessory as being like a part of my. It's just um, no big deal for you. Yeah. Yeah. I had a car phone growing up. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't sound cool now to kids because they don't know what a car phone is. I assume they won't know what a car is. Mm-mm. And I live for kids approval. Yeah. <laughs> Kids and dogs. Really? I think you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> um, but was it successful with that then? He must have been. Uh, yeah, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, I think it had its like hills and valleys. Um, As each new technology came online. Yeah, it was like constantly companies were being bought and sold and stuff. And he'd have to, yeah. you know, move along. And that's why we would move. And uh, what were some of the places you lived? Greenville, South Carolina, and um, Roswell, Georgia, and I only lived in Nina, Wisconsin for a little bit before mm-hmm. I went to school. But um, yeah, so and that was here. You went to school here. 
No, I, um, I, my first two years of school, I went to a Jesuit university called St. Louis university. I'm not familiar with it. Well, I don't recommend that you make yourself familiar (laughs) with it because I left, uh, for a reason. And then I went to university of Michigan. The great University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a little bit of a Jesus moment, meaning that University of Michigan was my Lord and Savior for those years. I mean, you bought, you were uh, a, f- a frequenter of the, um, uh, what do you call it, the supply store, the school store with all the sweatshirts and everything? You mean you were a big <laughs> booster for the school? or <laughs> I mean, you fell for no. whatever was going on? Or really it was a... Um, well, I didn't even want to go there oh, okay. because my parents... Uh, my parents wanted me to go there because it was in-state tuition and I didn't have a good sense of what money meant then. So I was really fighting them You're on it. You're used to the life of car phones. Uh, exactly. <laughs> um, but I'm really glad that I ended up going there because now I don't have debt. But, um, but when you say it's your Lord and Savior, you mean it was a, it was a great place to be for you at that time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I mean. All right. I'm there. Sometimes it just <laughs> takes me a second. <laughs> well, um, we I ended up accidentally, thank God, uh, going to the women's studies department because I hated the theater chair. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then he later got fired for plagiarism. There so. you go. That's why. You were onto something. A little bit clairvoyant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have an instinct, though, don't we? Yeah. 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 You got to follow your intuition. You, you can tell with people. You can you, just tell. Bert, no, I don't have to name names. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I have a similar experience with somebody. You really? just knew something wasn't right there, and then it wasn't right. And then your you say, ex? well, there you go. No, 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 the, a person like this in a theater department or something. <laughs> oh, and you think, yeah. well, that's not the right behavior. Uh-huh. And, and, that makes and you have me to give up your whole life to acknowledge your intuition. You're yeah. like, well, I thought I was going to be this, and now I'm just going to be a person that knows about gender. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, you've spun that into gold, haven't you? (laughs) Pure gold. And at what point, though, if you're studying the the women, uh, do you uh, come across performance art as an idea? Um, Well, I didn't... Which I I also will just, sorry to interrupt, but we'll acknowledge that it is a problematic term. Uh, (laughs) Still, performance art, I still have some issues uh, surrounding that, but... No, I'm with you. let's set that aside for the you. moment. Um, well, Holly Hughes, uh, sure. who's a performance artist, she one of the NEA four. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. With she Karen was Finley teaching and yeah, and John Fleck and Tim John Fleck. Tim Miller. Yes, happy to know their names um, and them personally. But uh, she she started teaching there. I didn't know who she was, but I saw a cool flyer. There with, we go. With her, like, her um, inviting face and, like, kind of naked body covered up with an American, American flag. flag. Yeah. And it said gender and performance art. <laughs> and I was like, sounds good. Incidentally, the same photo she's been using for at least 25 years. Well, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> because Still it still works. It got me in here right now, <laughs> That's I think. Right. <laughs> That's right. We thank you, Holly, and whoever <laughs> took that photo. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, um, what's his name? Mario Testini. You know, I'm talking about that really famous. It was supposed to be a joke, but then I didn't know his name. 
The piss Christ guy? No. Oh. No, I wasn't making an art joke. I, don't oh. think. I think I was making more of like a Vogue joke. Oh. But gotta well, read more of those. Yeah, let's, let's um, bulk up on our Vogue. <laughs> <laughs> List of photographers. So, yeah. She so got I, you in. That photo got you in. Well, then, I had like dropped out of school for a semester and I asked her if I could audit the class and uh, she let me. Um, while I was working at like a parking deck, <laughs> I just worked at a parking deck from 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. every day by myself a, and then went to that class. A parking deck being a, like a garage, right? Like parking yeah, but like lot. a tiny booth, yeah. either in an open, empty parking lot yeah. or in a garage. And that wasn't a dream job? It was at first. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> I, I they would... all are. <laughs> they all are. And then you realize it's just a job. Yeah. Then you realize that bringing a jar of peanut butter and a bag of Hershey Kisses in and making your own Reese's peanut butter cups is only cool for the first 20 seconds before you get sick. <laughs> and then you have to move on from that in some way and luckily you were able to do the go to the class and that was uh, uh, that must have introduced you to a lot of other things certainly uh, more than you could find in the booth but be beyond that sure sure and then yeah. you got exposed to performance well, she, as an she, idea uh, she like brought a bunch of people in to like you know do workshops and all that stuff and they were all cool just like across the board amazing folks like Lois Weaver and Peggy Shaw um, oh they're great yeah they were like a, a blow my mind experience. How great is Peggy Shaw? A, One phenomenal. of a motherfucking kind. Yeah. Yeah. Really. An Have you ever had Peggy on this show? I haven't. No, we've met though, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I think out in Los Angeles or something, and I saw her perform it. Just fantastic. Yeah. Maybe even once in San Francisco. I'm not sure, but uh, just great. Mm-hmm. I, I'm uh, I'm fond of her. So you see that, and then where do you get the inkling to to do something? Well, because it's an assignment. Oh, so you have to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember Such the first good... class. I made two things. I made one thing that was a slam poem that I felt really good about, yep. and one thing that I felt very uncertain about and maybe didn't want to do. That of course was the better yeah. thing because it was honest. Uh, I mean, I was like, yeah, I was like a guy named Ralph Crankowitz that was just <laughs> wearing tidy whities and like jerking off a highlighter and inviting people to like mime drive him in a taxi cab around hell. But yep. it went over a lot better with the audience than the slam poem. Yep. You got, you got to do what you know. And I remember watching <laughs> Holly cringe while I read the slam poem to yeah. her. Yeah. Outside is like a rehearsal outside the theater. She was like, really good. <laughs> <laughs> Were you practicing it in the booth? I was definitely writing it in the booth. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Oh, did it follow the rhythm of a slam uh, a poet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it not, it's never been my favorite form. No, but isn't it kind of coming back right now? Oh, gosh. I was also also thinking today that maybe Olive Suits would come back. Olive suits. Right. It's kind of an under-the-radar fashion trend. Yeah. Uh, an unfortunate option in the 90s was to go with, you had your blue, your black, 
maybe there would be some khaki thing, but often it would be oh. like an olive. Yeah, I know what you're color. talking about. Right. A very awful color of green. Different than the olive, that Mad Men olive. No, that, that yes, there can be a, attractive versions of that, but mm-hmm. this was not. It was almost yeah. a dusty. Right, because mm. the cut is real, like boxy too. It's <laughs> yeah, not too like big. tailored. Yeah, with pleats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so if that and slam poetry comes, well, that's what I'll wear to do my slam poetry <laughs> if I have to. Uh, next season on Dale Radio. Um, well, you know, I, I said um, a little bit as we were talking that uh, I know that a lot of you end up with the interviews that you end up talking about religion and all that uh, because that has factored prominently uh, in, in a Jesuit school and you grew up Catholic and then there was an evangelical period as I understand it. Uh, but uh, have you ever talked about the church experience uh, just out of curiosity with um, John Early at all? Um, you know, I don't think we ever talked about it, but I know that he, his parents are they're, like they're, they're both mini- people. ministers, I think, yeah, in, in yeah, the Presbyterian yeah. Church, if I'm correct. Right. But I, I thought I had him in here, it was to- or I went to his house, I guess. I was talking to him um, about it, and I think the remarkable thing in that situation was uh, people assume that, okay, it's, it was a difficult environment or conservative or uh, yeah. difficult or challenging to be queer to be out within that and in fact his experience was one of support and kind of it was kind of normal and not that he didn't have you know issues or anything growing up just as anybody would but I thought that was so uh, like yes you know there are liberal progressive people that are able to have faith and have tolerance and be accepting and whatever else that um, it it kind of goes counter to that narrative and I didn't know if you'd ever um, talk to him about differences between that and what uh, maybe your experience was Mm-mm. i mean my parents are not clergy people although my dad was in the seminary for a few years to yeah. become a priest in high school but i do have um a few clergy people family members who always were like you know the more liberal like tolerant folk actually yeah. in the family I think that's like if you have to have an active practice, a practice of like forgiveness or something or tolerance. I don't right. really know, but like the the vows that you have to take are they're real. I don't know what kind of vows a married minister couple takes, but I know yeah. what kind of vows a nun takes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they, <laughs> right. So, some variations between uh, Catholicism and. Uh, Protestant there that uh, yeah, maybe yeah. a little bit more. <laughs> I don't know. There I, might be more leeway. I don't know. Right, bunk beds. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's more fun. <laughs> it's more fun. <laughs> it gives the mind space to wander a little bit, doesn't it? That's <laughs> never appealed to you though to go into the into the church. Oh yeah, it did because I didn't know that you. The only examples of like careers for women in my family were like nurse in my mind we're like nurse or nun yeah so i was like i'll choose nun <laughs> <laughs> interesting between those two because yeah. it's uh had a good um order to it um yeah i could you know there's like kind of a single vibe that i was into because yeah. i also didn't it, know that you could be like a single person i thought you had to be oh i see married i see yeah just married i didn't i didn't know anything about like queerness i think that's what we're talking about right now but for me the like 
the queerness that I could recognize was none. <laughs> and certainly that that is a, a, a part of uh, the nunnery. <laughs> I mean, yeah. There are queer nuns is what I'm trying to say. Right. I mean, that's as well as priests as we've. Yeah. It's cool when they come out. It's so. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's bold given the um, environment. Certainly. Yes. This, this current Pope seems to be a little bit more. But not really. He's still a jackass about LGBT well, stuff. Yeah, is he? I haven't uh, tuned in that closely, but yeah, I mean, like he—he he at first was like trying to be cool, and then he kind of took it all back. I uh, think he like got schooled. That's a, that's a, too that's school a, for cool. That's what's happening there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you didn't become a nun. Uh, I kind of did, except for that the Catholic Church doesn't support my life. So what? Where did that leave you? That leaves me trying to do it um, with Linda Simpson at Bingo Night. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, pretty pretty good. I mean, that's a. Yeah, I know it's that's not That's a bad. land on your feet it's story. Not bad. There. You get dinner. But and and just in the timeline, that's before you end up at the uh, with Holly Hughes doing <gasps> oh, this. Oh, oh yeah, like. Definitely. I don't yeah. think I ever took it that seriously. But okay. when I was little, you know. Those were the thoughts. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I was like, it's either Aunt Joe or this teddy bear that's in a nurse <laughs> outfit. And I just, like, couldn't see myself, like, having those um, physical dimensions in that fur. <laughs> it's, hard. it's hard to be a bear sometimes. <laughs> Especially when you're not allowed to be a doctor. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> right. uh, well. Uh, so you you do the the slam thing and it doesn't work. Then you do the other no, performance. Just that one time, though. Yeah, yeah no. I, I mean, I could tell from the crowd where they wanted more, where the hashtag money was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. So you you find that more lucrative path of the experimental performance. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, what's his name? Randy <laughs> driving around through. Oh, uh, Ralph Crankowitz. Oh, Ralph, Ralph, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, so that's happening in Michigan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not familiar with necessarily the history of performance happening in, in Michigan. No, but when I was there, I was just like, I don't understand why everybody want to move to New York. We can just make Ann Arbor the new New York. Yeah. And I felt really you were passionate like, about gung-ho that. about it. I mean, I I meant that like while I was still going there. Yes. I didn't want to feel like there was something better happening somewhere else. <laughs> the funny impulse, isn't it, that we have sometimes? <laughs> and we're so sure of it as young people. I mean, that's the only way to to live, really. Anytime I ever said I will never do that, you could count on the fact that in two weeks later I'd be doing that. I know. I actually can't say that anymore because I know that's like (laughs) really me like daring myself to go ahead and do it. It's like leaving the room, uh, leaving a little bit of room for yourself to, 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 giving yourself permission to Mm -hmm. do it by being that passionate about it the other way. And if I say I'm going to do something, then it, then it is the opposite effect. (laughs) I never get around to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now in New York, we have this thing. Uh, how do you get to New York? 
Oh, I mean, because eventually that uh, that well, Holly's just was... like telling a bunch of stories about New York, and then eventually you're just like, "Yep, that's where I'll be." I was like, either New Orleans or New York. New Orleans, because it just seemed like it had its own identity, and it does. Yeah. I truly, it's like only New York, and New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> Do you go down there a lot? Um, I wouldn't say a lot, but enough times to know that that's a fact. Yeah. It, uh, uh, I've grown fond of that place. Um, it is unusual and strange and uh, magical and slow. Yeah. It's like, sp- yeah, spooky, sexy, lazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that wonderful TLC album yeah. that they came out with. Oh, my God. That's such a good title for a sequel to the TLC <laughs> album without them knowing. Yeah. <laughs> I look forward to hearing it. Um and you start performing right away when you get here, or what happens? Yeah, I did that Ralph Crankowitz thing at a benefit for a sex workers magazine, and it really didn't have the same punch in New York <laughs> <laughs> because I, when I was like, I made up like this, you know, a ta- somebody driving me in a taxi cab around hell was like the thing of it, and I think in my mind. Um, a taxi cab was like a thing of the past. Oh. You know what I mean? Uh Because they didn't use those in Ann Arbor. (laughs) And then in New York, people were just like, I don't know. Actually, in retrospect, this is like my analysis, like post that performance. But now that I'm saying it out loud, it's probably that I just wasn't that good yet, you know? (laughs) And has that, has that, uh, we talk a lot about characters and comedy on this, on this show, but was, was there a life for Ralph? Uh, after this realization that uh, well, he's a real still... throat burner. Oh, I see. Like, you know, it's like that. Oh, gosh. And you, yeah. If Good you want to sing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it it's, it's a little tough on the physically tough to do. Yeah, I have that problem where it's like any character I make, it's like a central part of the character is hurt my vocal cords. Ah. you know. So you have to move through them. I think I have to. Yeah, I have to make some some new ones now. <laughs> now that get... I know more about vocal health. Yes. Have you taken a, you taken classes for that? Ish. I yeah. would say ish. You use the spray. Uh, entertainer's secret. <laughs> I use that. <laughs> you're saying you're not going to tell me, or that's what it's called? <laughs> no, I think there's one called that. Because <laughs> right. I got turned on to that singer spray. Yeah, I think I think one of them is called Entertainer's Secret. Yeah, it's awful tasting. Um, yeah, but if it tastes like a good performance, then it tastes good. Well, well that's what's happened. <laughs> is it becomes a thing that you lock in, and you're like, well, I got to have that smell yeah. happening in my body no, for this to be a Pavlovian. success. It's Pavlovian. I know. Yeah. I would like used to steam my face all the time if I was having trubs before a show, and I'm like, if I'm not bent over a crock pot, sweating my ass off, it's not going to be a good night. That's right. That's right. (laughs) I used to always think if I had uh, actually bled or had some kind of little accident uh, before, like in the rehearsal, Uh the last rehearsal, the dress rehearsal, uh, if I had one of those, then it would mean a good show. Definitely. 
That's that's poppycock. It at least a bruise. At least a bruise. Mm-hmm. I, I find that to no longer be true. The same thing with drinking. Uh, honestly, it's a- I know that is a hard lesson to learn <laughs> yeah. over time. Yeah. Some people are really good at drinking and performing. I am. I'm not one of those. I say I'm good as long as it doesn't keep going. Right. We used to have a, a bottle on the on the live show version of this show. I'd bring a bottle down there, and we'd sit in the basement somewhere and just drink. It wasn't good. No. It's well, not good. Because you, if you're going to do that, then you need to start drinking like halfway through the show. <laughs> yeah, not an hour before. Yeah. To get your courage up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, there's a thing here in uh, uh, New York called Performa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, kind of the nexus of performance art, and we're still going with that. And uh, that, that the woman who started that, Rosalie uh, mm-hmm. Goldberg, it really inspired me with her books early on. Before I had, uh, ever, before Performer was a thing, she wrote some texts about performance art. I'm sure Holly Hughes, probably that picture <laughs> of Holly is in that book. But um, when I, sometimes if I'm on a long train ride or something, uh, and then Charlotte's Web isn't available, I'll pick that book up. <laughs> And, and look through it. And one of the early futurist performances there, I think, Marinetti or somebody, it's just a, a curtain that's raised maybe 12 inches, 2 feet, something like that. And all you can see are the lower part of the performers. And you don't see any other thing of it. They have to act the whole scene out. And it's not a long scene, but they have to do the whole scene just with their lower extremity moving around. And I just think that I'm so inspired by that kind of thing and by the the. Uh, if you do that now, that would be like a viral sensation. But I, do, I feel like the reason I bring it up is because I feel like within the comedy theater, not enough people look to the history of some of these mm-hmm. things yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to be informed going forward. And they think they're inventing it, and maybe that's just the human condition. But, I mean, probably all of us should look at our histories a little bit more. There's some great, Is there anything from you know, the art world out there um, that inspires you or um, do you find particularly funny? Yeah, I mean, I, recently I've just been, because everybody has to do this at some point, thinking a lot about Andy Kaufman and yeah. just like his whole, I mean, the reason why he was given that platform, of course, is because he took that job on taxi. So he had this like mass appeal, but then, you know, his conditions with his management basically were like... If I do this, then I then you help me get to do whatever I want. That's right. like basically performance art. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but then like because he had the identity of comedian, it just got like sort of pulled into that sphere. I that makes me feel really excited. Yeah, anytime. And uh, I may have expressed this before, but any time that somebody can go in and expand what that sort of larger category is, mm-hmm. I think it serves everyone well. Yeah. So, like, rather than say this is performance art is different than theater, right? I like saying that it's theater because then that makes theater that much more rich and exciting. Yeah. And so, if you say Andy Kaufman is comedy, then that just gives you so much more room in what you can do in comedy. Definitely. Have you seen that special, the PBS thing? You must have. Um, I could, whatever I could get my hands on on YouTube, like a couple weeks ago. So if it was blocked, then well, no. he has a wonderful talk show where he's on a desk that's oh, really high. Oh yeah, yeah. I think Elaine Boozler is the guest, and there's a puppet, and Tony Clifton comes on, and all that. But uh, 
You mean the the network special he did, or the or the show that he did when he was in college that was like Andy's Fun? I think they're both called Andy's Fun House. Actually, yeah. No, th- this one I think is. I thought it was made for PBS, but it could be a network special or something. But it's, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's no. I actually it, haven't seen that yet. It's pretty fantastic. Um, the whole it's it's almost his entire career put into a, a one special. Um, but you see all the things that he's interested in that are right there and fully present and fully realized. At one point, the puppet takes over and all, you know all that kind of stuff. It's, yeah. But, but it's also intensely visual, which I think is, you know, it's not it's not a guy against a brick wall, right, right, and a right. microphone stand. It's right. It's really pulling on all the tricks that you can do, and yeah. it's visual art in a way. I just like it when he throws drinks in people's faces. <laughs> <laughs> Have you done that? <gasps> no, but I got, I was kind of, had a few too many at a bar the other night, and I got into a little minor argument um, with somebody about whether or not I'm entitled to use the word power bottom. And um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and in my mind, the next day, I was like, oh my God, I physically threatened that person. Like I was like, I asked them if they want to take this outside. Oh, really? But then I asked my friends who were with me whether or not that happened. And they were like, no, no, you were like really polite, actually. (laughs) But in your mind, you were raging. You were in a brawl. I think it says a lot. It does. Well, you know, you have an active imagination. It's true. It's true. But it's like, what's the difference between me and Andy Kaufman if he can actually throw a surprise drink in some people's faces and not tell them that it, he was just kidding until later? Not everybody knew, you know. Yeah. The the head honchos always knew, but not the like people he was performing with. Yeah. Jerry Lawler knew, but um. But anyways, like, I don't. The difference between him who will do it and me who will only do it drunk in my mind. But do you think that that's a weakness then? Because you're holding back? Well, you know, I don't have like a, a film crew. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> you, would just, you could just end up in a fight. Yeah. And yeah. I was at like a lesbian nightclub in Philadelphia. So I just felt like not the moment. Don't do it. That's right. Only do it drunk so, in your mind. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Trust your instincts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, uh, when do you start getting some success with it? Oh, well, as soon as God puts me back down and there's two sets of footprints in the sand again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um you I feel mean, like you've, you've, I mean, you've had some success. You, uh, yeah, I'm starting to get my balls a little wetter, you know? Like, I'm trying to make something now that I want to, I'm trying to hone something right now. I'm doing a little summer series that's getting ready to, like, figure out what my version of, like, a TV special would be. Yeah. And then I'm going to figure out how to either find somebody to make it happen or just make it happen myself. Well, that's terrific. And sometimes you have to rely on people out there to support those endeavors. And I'm fortunate that I have supported uh, a couple of your projects, I think, through Kickstarter. Oh, thank God. So maybe well, through... Do I owe you a perk right no, now? No, no, okay. it's fine. We're settled now. We're even. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was maybe Rods and Cones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you were in. Maybe that mm-hmm. wasn't uh, headed up by Beth, I guess. Yeah. Right? And Beth and, and Tara Jepson. Thank you. Yeah. And Half Straddle. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was Capstrato. A, a Maybe something with birds. I don't remember exactly what it was. Oh, seagull. Seagull. Yeah. yeah. You know, I wasn't in that originally, but I did. I uh, was in this. it on the tour. Okay. But I am in that company, so. There we go. Any money spent on half strato is money spent on me. You get a little piece. (laughs) That's the important thing. I'm sure sure that $15 made it it to you. It it bought the drinks that made me punch that person out of my mind the other night. (laughs) Well, hopefully we're still moving forward. The the project, uh, Rods and Cones, uh, you and Jibs, Cameron, uh who has also been on the show, and, and Beth, also a friend uh they're they're all tremendous and the series hit a little you were performers trying to make it or something uh right performance artists what was happening yeah we were kind of playing a um a particular version of ourselves yeah i think we used like our own narratives but bumped up the the character acting yeah it struck a little close to home just uh yeah yeah the the struggling (laughs) a part of it and and living in la did you ever live out there no i haven't yet um I don't think I would move out there unless I had a very specific reason to. If this TV this thing point. works out. Right. Then yeah. they'll all come calling. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're also in the Hudson Valley Ballers. Yeah, I was in that a couple couple times. Oh, another wonderful series. Uh, Beth, again, I think Neo Bustamante was one uh, of the characters in that. Was Neo? Yeah, I'm sure she was. She was in there with a, know, some kind of feminist meeting. Oh yes, in the episode yeah, yeah, that yeah. I saw. We had there was like two seasons and they were a couple years apart, so I um I get confused about what time is. Yeah, Paula Pell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just naming some great people. Oh yeah, this is wonderful. Uh, and for me. Uh, I would love. You're a regular E. B. White. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> that's what I. That's why I brought up. It's a tremendous influence. I think I didn't realize what an influence E. B. White really was. It's like basically the only through line of this show right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God there's one. That, <laughs> that's more than most. Um, but speaking of threads, you're you're you've always had in the work. I think threads of family life, identity, uh, mm-hmm. desires, uh, always coursing through it, um, which makes sense to me. Is I mean. It, it, just talking with you, I can understand that. And also, I'm interested in some of those things. How has uh, this project that's been going in Philadelphia, uh, you said it was, the, it was the more cabaret version of the things. Does that, how does that relate to a project like Irish Cream, A Ride on the Irish Cream? <clears throat> Which maybe you should explain what A Ride on the Irish Cream is because it has a fantastical description, really. Yeah. Not exactly an elevator pitch, I would say, but maybe it is. Right. It's a hard one to explain. Um, a Ride on the Irish Cream was, for lack of a better word, a musical-ish thing that um, I wrote with Kenny Melman. I composed music with Kenny Melman and Emily Bate, but it was um, a product of of combining like memories from my childhood, like the aesthetics of like living on a river in Michigan, with like. Uh, my current relationship so I cast my current partner uh, Becca Blackwell as our pontoon boat that was docked in our backyard yep and I just like I don't know use that kind of language and mimicked our sort of like speaking patterns and stuff but with that kind of uh, word bank it, it wasn't as weird feeling as i'm describing right now but that's kind of how it was made and there's some affection shown towards the boat yeah we're in a we're in our same 
You're in a relationship. Deal. Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, but Beck is not like dressed as a pontoon boat or anything. Right. But, sorry, so the pontoon boat is also a horse because I decided, I don't know, you know, when you're little, you're playing with my little ponies. Yep. You're doing that work outside. And it uh-huh. just, all those kinds of memories just start to like, or, or aesthetics start to merge when you're like a kid. The boat is very much an animal, you know, stuff like that. So so it could be a horse. It could be a boat. Yeah. It can go back and forth. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Identity is not fixed. Thank you. Uh, and <laughs> well, what about the idea that objects have uh, some kind of um, ability to perceive things? Um, you familiar with that theory? I can't yeah. remember what it's called. Yeah, I can't remember either. <laughs> but me and Becca were just talking about that. Well, oh my God, have you read that that KonMari method bestseller? The oh. the like art of oh the tidying up. Yeah, thing? the tidying. I'm just reading it now, yeah. and she's she's really a big proponent of like objects, basically like having feelings and stuff. She's like, right. if you're not wearing your socks and you wrap your socks up in a ball so that the elastic is all stretched, then your socks don't get to rest while they're not on your feet, which I'm totally into. I'm into it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I always get a little vibe off of objects. Yeah. You know? Well, they're made of matter, just like you and me. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're all stardust. Just because uh, they don't bleed yet. <laughs> that's, that's soon enough. Soon enough. Um, but that that musical, you said you're going to be touring that. Yeah. Uh, so there'll be mm-hmm. an opportunity for people to see it. And the connection with the Philadelphia piece is just that, did you do number musical numbers from that? I did there? a couple. Yeah. yeah. A couple ones that felt apt. And uh, music is a great part of all of your work. Yeah, it's like, you know, at at a certain point um, in working in New York, I was like, God, I feel like I only want to work on projects that have music in it. Um, I don't know if I feel that same way now, but it really, like, worked. Like, put it out there, and suddenly music was my life. <laughs> um, but, which and, was a good thing. And it fits in nicely with the kind of cabaret as a form. Yeah, it's it's sort of like the piece is kind of like cabaret meets performance art meets like a, a sort of love letter slash satire of the musical. Right. I'm so, I'm a, a terrific proponent of the cabaret as a as a form. It's a little bit different than a variety show which I think yeah. people expect people to be spinning plates or something right, but, right. Um, or at least I do yeah right <laughs> any variety show perform worth on its your salt, stage <laughs> I better know how to spin a plate but I like hosting yeah There's really a, yeah I do you have to be very generous to be a good MC, and you seem like you got what it takes thank you <laughs> thank you I like standing still yeah, uh, and I like movement too. I can do. So. I always dreamed of being a dancer, but I think it does <laughs> suit me to to be the kind of glue because I find that people trust me. Yeah, and so I can go wherever I need to go with them, and I'll take them on the journey through the thing. Mm-hmm. It'll be wonderful. And you have like good etiquette around introducing people and like doing homework. Yes, thank you. That's the work of it, isn't it? It is, but it's like you can get confused. I've had to MC a few things before I kind of understood the job. Yeah, I was basically just using it as a platform to talk about myself the way I would just in my work, and yeah. then I would get to the part where I would have to introduce somebody and just be like, 
making fun of them like the way I would make fun of myself. Yes. And I was like, you actually... You need to be a support. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You can't cut them down because the audience goes with you. Yep, definitely. (laughs) And the performers don't care for it. No, no. No, nobody wins (laughs) when you're a jerk to everyone the way you are to yourself. You You can do some of that after the act. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can comment on it a little bit if it went a little south, but um... or if you have like a bottle on stage, for instance, <laughs> that gives you a little license, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, well, um, uh, what are some of the uh, uh, things about the characters? If I can return to that for a moment, um, that you find yourself drawn to? You said they have a kind of physical um, tax on you in terms of your voice. But are there some oh. uh, things about the characters that you do that have something in common or that you're always drawn to? Um, well, you know, they're they're always, like, inspired by someone special. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, There's a template out there in the world that uh, has uh, left an Im- impression yeah. on you. Yeah. You know, like, vocally... It, like I have a character named Aunt Jan who doesn't sound anything like my Aunt Jo and doesn't behave like her, but the essence of her, I feel like I've put it in the throat and I've garbled it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a funny kind of a thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like a, 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 what do you call that? Channeling. Yeah. Yeah. A little yeah. Bit. It and doesn't it feels... always end up like that person, as you said, but you have like li- lived in their skin a little bit. Right. And it feels ethically insane, even though nobody <laughs> that knows that person would ever be like, I know who that is. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you know? well, sometimes you can go years and they'll never catch on, Mm-mm. even if they're frequent listeners to this program mm-hmm. or any program. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Have you ever had the experience where you are watching something on TV or similar, I guess, in, like I'm saying with E.B. White, but where you're, you're watching TV or listening to something and you think, oh, gosh, I didn't realize that's where that came from like a mannerism or something yeah definitely i wouldn't be able to cite an example but yeah. definitely have had that moment many many times um and then it's like you either feel really like um a sleuth yeah. like you figured it out or you feel like you a fraud yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. That's it. Those are the only two emotions, really, at the end of the day. I, know. I recently uh, caught an episode of The Muppets and thought, oh, well, all my jokes are from The Muppets, aren't they? <laughs> all the references are the same. Uh, now what? Now what? Well, what does the future hold for Aaron Markey? You're going to try and put this television thing together as one thing. You've got the tour of the Irish Cream. Mm-hmm. You continue to do your cabaret act, which is a regular kind of yeah. best of thing that you return to. Well, I'm doing this, like, new thing this summer once a month at the Duplex to, Great to venue. try yep. out, like, new stuff and then to polish some old stuff to get that TV special ready. Yeah. It's called Aaron Markey Humping a Gatorade Bottle. <laughs> and it's based on a heart-wrenchingly true story. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys should all come out. It's the last Wednesday of every month this summer. At 9.30 p.m. So the first one is, is June 29th, then July 27th, then August 31st. As as the calendar goes. Yeah. Yeah. That that Well, we're going to catch that. That'll be exciting. Cool. Uh, Aaron Markey humping a Gatorade 
bottle. bottle. Yeah. I just want to make sure. I mean, I technically, I wanted to call it humping an empty Gatorade bottle, but it sounded better to leave that word out. Interesting. Mm-hmm. A little mystery. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Erin, um, this has been a pleasure. It has been a pleasure for me as well. Great. Well, thank you so much. And I, w- I hope you have a wonderful summer and good luck with all the shows. Have great shows. Thank you. You too. I will. <laughs> There she is, our Erin Markey. I'm so happy to have had the chance to talk with her, and believe me, there's so much more we could have gotten into. That's how it is sometimes. You end up kind of focusing on just a few aspects of a person's career and life, especially when they're as prolific as Erin is. You, you don't get everything, but you can see why I was interested in her work, having batted around some of the same ideas about cabaret and variety and doing things which are not quite this and maybe a little bit more of that. Anyway, uh, be sure and catch her show at the Duplex. My thanks to Aaron for joining me. Till next time, I'll be working on my play about an empty whiskey bottle who is also my ex-wife who is also a toaster. And we'll be making lots of English muffins. Famous potatoes! Now let's get back to that great music that we all enjoy. Dale Radio is written and performed by James Bewley, musical director Steve O'Reilly. Season theme composed and performed by Shockwave. Podcast icon for Season 8 designed by Jenny Fine. Listen to Dale on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher Radio. And follow the program on Twitter, at Dale Radio, or on Instagram, at Dale Seaver. If you'd like Dale to come to your local VFW or Elks Lodge, simply drop us a line at Radio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. You're the best. <laughs>